0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. I want to say, you guys are also beautifully smiley and encouraging and you nod in all the right places. Thank you very much. Always very encouraging for a guest speaker. Uh, our lot just fall asleep at me, but I'm used to that. Um, they're used to me too. So I promised um, in this session that I would share some stories. I always find that teaching through story uh, is, is the best way that I can teach. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that, and I will explain that. The other thing that I, I talked about, the relentless invite in the last session, and I want you to hold that intention with the thing that I say next. So it might sound like I'm contradicting myself. I am not contradicting myself. You hold the two things in tension because there is real wisdom in knowing your moment. You know, th- there is just wisdom in that. Yes, we want to be relentless inviters, but there is a point where you think, actually, somebody else needs to invite here, or I just need to hold back for a little bit before I invite. But that doesn't stop us from always having that person or those persons in the um, front of our mind, or praying for them, or caring for them, or loving them. So I just, you hold the two things in tension together. I've also realized that now that I've told you to text and WhatsApp all your friends, that you're going to sit there and do that all the way through the session. And I can't tell you off of being on your phones. But, Jazz, I'm just inviting my friends. So that's fine. Um, Yeah, and they're all replying. Yes, we're coming. Cool. I want to um, tell you a story about my friends Mick and Elaine. Uh, and I'm going to tell you their story in detail. And as I tell you the story of Mick and Elaine, I, I want to try and draw some things out that I really hope will serve you guys well in your own area of personal evangelism. And whoever you've got in your mind, whoever you are considering to invite for tomorrow, or maybe tomorrow is not right, but you're thinking the next Christmas carol thing that we do, or maybe it might be an alpha course or, or something else, um, I want you to have them in mind, and I want you to just think about the fact that if every single one of us were to bring one person to church in the next year, that this time next year, your weekend away would be double this, but this time in two years' time, because if they all repeated it, you'd be quadruple the size, you would not fit in here. It's not that difficult. But I also want you to understand that when we have people in mind that I'm talking about authentic, genuine friendships, I am not talking about becoming friends with people to get notches on your evangelism post. You don't become friends with people that once they're saved, you drop them. That would be wrong and actually ungodly um, because we are a family. So all of those things are my caveats before I share what I'm going to share when Tim and I first got married we uh, bought a house in the middle of a local council estate um, in Selznore where we live it's called Monks Hill and we we as a church worked into the estate it was where our heart was and we just wanted to be part of everything that was going on there and Tim and I looked around and we were like well, what do we do? we're newbies, we're the new kids in the block it was a council estate most people don't buy their houses so already we felt a bit awkward but we'd, we'd bought a house and everybody else was probably still renting or whatever but it was just the way it worked out. Um, the, so we, we looked around and we discovered there was a couple. So Tim and I were in our 20s and this couple were in their 50s and we spotted that the lady in the couple, Elaine, was a mover and a shaker on the estate. She's a proper, she was born and bred on the estate, and she loved the estate, she knew everybody's business, she knew everything that was going on. And she was quite keen to set up some sort of residence group. And so Tim and I purpose in our heart that we would just become friends with her and her husband, Mick and Elaine, and that whatever we did, we would be friends with them. That was it. We were just going to do it, even though there was a quite a, there was an age gap. They had grown up children, we didn't have children. We didn't really have anything in common. We were all like churchy, and they were just not churchy. But we purposed that we were going to be their friends. I was going to, I was determined to find something in common with her. Just determined. And uh, so we just, whatever she wanted to do, we just, agreed. You know, I want a residence group. Yeah, okay, we'll join your residence group. I want to do a fun day. Yeah, we as a church, we can do a fun day with you. I want to do, you know, we just support whatever her idea was, we just got behind it. And we made sure we popped in for cups of tea. And if it was a birthday, we made sure we took a card round or whatever it was and made sure that we, we, we inquired about her family. We purposed that Mick and Elaine were going to be our friends. And it went on like that for many years. They were just our friends. Off the estate, there are two ways that you can go off of our estate. You could either drive the short way and get straight off the estate, no effort involved. Or you could choose to drive the long way round and go past their house, which adds about another five minutes to the journey, because it's all twisty roads round to their house. And I just purposed in my heart to hear something I'm going to reveal to you. It's been recorded. (laughs) I'm just taking the mic. I'm not a prayer. I'm I'm not one of these people that can go into my room and spend hours on my knees praying. I'm just not one of those people. I've tried. I fall asleep. <laughs> I do. I really want to. I want, Every January the 1st, I always have these really good intentions. Yes, I can spend hours on my knees before the Lord pray. i just I'm just not work that way wide. It's not how I work. Um, but I do pray all the time. It's pretty much how it works for me. And so I purposed that when we... Um, when we go off the estate, we would always drive the long way off the estate. Sorry, I realise I'm not knocking anybody that can do that. Oh, did I just knock it out? Sorry, I'm not, um, I'm not knocking anybody that can pray for hours and hours and hours. In fact, if you are a prayer, please let me know. I'm going to ask you to pray for me too. But uh, I'm really I really love people that can do that. But Tim and I purposed that we'd always drive off the long way and we'd drive past her house. And the whole point of driving past their house was so that we would be prompted to pray. And so that we knew that every single day, sometimes three or four times a day, they would get prayed for as we drove off the estate for about five minutes as we drove past their house and we would go. And the reason that I tell you that story is I genuinely think that all genuine conversion... Is bathed and soaked in prayer. If you think about your own conversion, your own point of coming to faith, I bet that you can name at least one person that prayed for you before you came to faith. It's reasonably unlikely that you came to faith without anybody praying for you. I mean, I do realize that happens, but it's unlikely. Someone was praying for you before you came to that place of faith, and I genuinely think that comes from that. So we would pray for her and pray for her. And in the first few years of no, and Mick, and in the first few years of knowing them, they came to church twice. Once when um, uh, one of the guys, we used to have a guy that used to rent a room from us, and he would he was preaching for the first time. And uh, so she knew that Andy was preaching and she'd be like, I think I would, I'd like to come and hear Andy preach or Andy invited her. I can't remember how it worked. But... So she came to church that one time in those first five years just to listen to Andy preach. Uh, and before that, Tim had come into eldership and she didn't know what eldership was, but she was... She goes, well, she realised it was something. She thought it was something important. And um, little did she know. But anyway... Um, she, um, she said, I want to come and see Tim become an elder. And so she came. So in those first five years of knowing her, she came to church twice. The, um, and that, that was it, really. And we just carried on being her friend. Except after five years, she suddenly got very sick. And she became agoraphobic and couldn't leave her house. And so i just pop in for a coffee. That's what I did. Just go around and see for a coffee. Still praying for her. Still being her friend. Still loving her. And uh, my heart broke for her. Just broke for her. Because this woman that had loads and loads of capacity, she was able to do so many things. She was uh, multitasking. She'd raised three children. She had uh, looked after countless other children. She knew everybody in this state. Everybody loved her. She was like a real pillar of the community. Suddenly, her world that was huge became confined to four walls. And so I used to go around and... Many, many times, um, I just sit and chat with her, and that would be it. But after a while, I said, Elaine, is there anything that you would like to do? And she goes, Well, I really enjoy crafting. Could I, is there a craft club I could, you could take me to jazz? Didn't have a craft club for her, so I made one up. Because <laughs> that's what you do, don't you? You look for the, you look for your in. And I quite like craft-type things, so that wasn't really difficult. So I approached a few women in the church. Said, "Come on on a Wednesday afternoon. she fancy doing a bit of knitting and nattering and whatever else?" And knitting's quite trendy. I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> and uh, and they were and I I kind of had this agenda that I just basically wanted to pick lane up every Wednesday afternoon, drive around the corner, and we would knit and natter, and, and that's what we did. And that went on for a few more years. Effectively, that became her life group. There was about six of us. And uh, knitting became so trendy, we actually made the newspaper. Our and that's Knitter club. We did. They came around and photographed us and everything. And, uh, but we would, we, would, we would do that. And during those times, because most of the women in that group, I think there's one other that wasn't a Christian, were from the church. And every Wednesday, Elaine would hear all the different things that were happening at church. Now, we weren't overtly inviting her to anything. We weren't overtly telling her she needed to become a Christian. But we would genuinely talk about, oh, yeah, this happened at church. And she'd hear about somebody such and such as a kid, and they were doing this. And, and she'd hear an awful lot about New Day. Because back in those days, I was heavily involved in New Day. And I was always making something or planning something or, or plotting something. And in fact, that particular Nata group shaped a lot of what I did at New Day. <laughs> and I uh, just telling no, no. but that's, that's, what, that's what we did. And so she heard all about that. Oh, about five years later, one May. So look, we're ten years down into a friendship here. One day, she says to me, Jazz, can I come to church with you on Sunday? And she just invited herself. And inside, I'm like, yeah, if you like. Oh, no, I sent it to her, if you like. And inside, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes do a little dance. i like, if you like, I'll pick you up. She goes, no, no, don't pick me up. Well, okay. She goes, um, I'll... Um, I'll get Mick to bring me, I'm like, all right, and you know when somebody says they're going to come to church, you're not quite sure they're going to actually turn up, uh, and I was like, all right, okay, and yeah, she's, she's agrophobic. so I'm like, really, she's going to come to church? But anyway, so Sunday morning, I'm, I'm a bit excited, thinking they might come, they might come, and, uh, and they walk in, well, they didn't walk in, Elaine sort of walked in, um, having overcome all sorts of levels of agoraphobia, um, Mick staggered in. He'd hurt his back, and he was absolutely in agony, uh, but managed to get himself in somehow. During the morning, there was a, a word of knowledge about a bad back. And uh, so I'm, well, Nick, you know, what, what Mick, what have you got to lose? We could pray for you. Lots of people prayed for that morning. And so his back was instantaneously healed. Absolutely, totally. Utterly. He was completely freaked out. <laughs> totally. Totally, he didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't know what to make of it. He could not walk in. He could not understand what had happened. He went for tea and coffee. Everybody he spoke to him, like, It was spooky. What happened? It was spooky. All week, anybody he met, he told the whole of his workplace. I went to that church. My back got healed. It was spooky. That was his way of describing church. But you know, the supernatural to people that don't understand it, they don't understand exactly what it is it's totally normal for us as christians i figure but for him it was a really weird experience he got healed anyway they came back to church the following week and the week after and the week after and they were still doing uh still doing craft club and it kind of went on like that for a little while and I'm like, well not much is happening they keep coming to church what's going on here and in the September, in 10 years, 10 years down the line, in the September, Elaine's sitting in her room, and she says this, Jesus, I've been using your facilities for quite a while now. <laughs> I think I'd like to get on your bus. That was her prayer of commitment. I think if any of you know the C.S. Lewis um, story of the fact there's a the moment where there's a bus that comes outside the gates of hell and takes people up, you know, there's an opportunity, there's, that's the whole thing. I think she might have heard that somewhere on the line and that's why she used those particular words. In all of that, this is what I want to try and say. First of all, it's not about the words people say. It's not about that particular prayer that is at the end of the alpha manual or you know dear lord jesus i have sinned and please forgive me um again i am not knocking that what i'm trying to say is that it's not about the words it really is about the heart it really genuinely is about connecting people to jesus a proper heart connection and in that moment for her she was connected to jesus i drove her home that week so she rings me up and tells me and then we as we were somewhere, and I drove her home. And this is what she said to me. She goes, Jazz, it's like I've been born all over again. That was her excitement. I didn't tell her she'd become born again, but she had had such an encounter with Jesus that a woman now in her late 50s, early 60s, suddenly telling me that she had become born again. And then she said to me, oh, Jazz, um, I've sent Mick out to buy me a Bible, and I'm looking at it going, oh, okay. And she goes, um, oh, yeah, Jazz, I need to join one of those life group things that you go to. She goes, can I come to yours? And I'm like, uh, yeah, if you like. And then, and then the last one, this is all in the car going home, five-minute journey. She says, um, so Jazz, I know that I've got to do some giving. How do I sign that form to do the giving? And I'm like, and I drop her off and I'm like, and she's so excited and she's so thrilled. And it's, you know, it's such a genuine thing that's happened. And this is what I realised. So we go back to that passage that I began with this morning. That we're to go into the world and make disciples. For 10 years, we had been discipling Mick and Elaine. That's through our lifestyle, through what Tim and I were doing, through what my friend Andy was doing, but also through the craft club, through the fun days when the church came and supported her, through the occasions that she came to church and from the moment that she arrived at church. All that time, for the 10 years, from the moment we started our friendship with her, we had been discipling her. We had been showing her how to live. So that when she came to the place of faith, Suddenly it all made sense. Suddenly it all dropped into place. Oh, that's why you do what you do. That's why you go to church. That's why you have life groups. That's why, you, you know, you give your money. It suddenly made sense. And about three weeks later, Mick was in church. And there was a word of knowledge. And my son said, oi, Mick, that was for you. <laughs> and, uh, and Mick goes, yeah, sure, I know. LAUGHTER and Mick got on the plane, apparently. So he got on a plane. I don't really care what people say. But, you know, I remember Mick weeping and crying. And it just, there were tears of joy. And at the same time, he went, Jazz, why? he's in his 60s. Why have I only just discovered this? And there was that little bit of regret in him. It was like, why did I not know this when I was younger? Why did nobody tell me about this? I don't know. God's timing is God's timing. Not our responsibility to do the converting. It's God's responsibility. But I do know this. For the rest of their days, Mick and Elaine are enjoying knowing Jesus and that they will live forever worshipping him in whatever that looks like when we get to the next stage of our next life so that's that's the mick and elaine story things that i want to draw from the mick and story are one i said this morning we live in this instant world i think we expect instant conversion i think we think oh we've invited somebody to church and they will be at church and that they will get saved and that they will be, they will learn all those things instantaneously and we don't need to disciple them we don't need to bother with any of that actually it all takes time it's a process just because technolo- technology has got faster, that's the only thing that's got faster. Living our lives is still at the same pace that it's always been. So there's that one thing that I want you to hold in, in, in your mind that actually it takes time. We, we, we live in a McDonald's generation, but we don't need to behave like that. And we can care and love for people and it will, it will take our effort and energy. I, um, Mick and Elena still—I still count them as one of my good friends. And just because they've got saved, I haven't dropped them as my friends. Uh, they're a lot older now. They're quite ill. Um, uh, they don't often make it to church just because of various illnesses. But but we hold them in high esteem, and Tim and I love them. They come for Christmas, and they come and hang out with us, and whatever. Investing your life in other people makes a difference, and so although I'm saying invite, 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 it's also important to know your moment. And um, I've got I've got countless stories, but I've got two from this week that I want to share. So I've never shared these before. These like brand new stories. Um, Thursday morning it was the general election, wasn't it? And uh, our, in our buildings, we... Not a general election, the European election. There was an election. There was some voting that took place on Thursday morning. I'm not going to talk about uh, which way to vote. Um, I, uh, our building... So we have a community centre in Selston, and uh, it, it normally has a preschool on every morning, but because it's on a main road, it turns into a, a polling station. And so I, I popped into the building before... Uh, I went up to London, we had a, a, a hub meeting in London, and I just popped in and I, I popped out of the, the loo, and I literally walked into a lady and she got suddenly got frightened and I'm like, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to start with you. And she like, she just froze and I was like, what did I do? I'm like, not that weird. And, and then she went, oh no, I've, I've had a brain tumour, I've had a stroke and I, I take longer to process. And I'm like, oh, okay, um, that's fine. I didn't really say anything more to her. Um, And she went in and I went out and got the bus up to East Croydon Station. It's about a 10, 15 minute bus ride from our building to East Croydon Station. I'm giving you way too much detail because I vaguely think that you might know some of these places. And uh, get to East Croydon Station and I'm waiting, you know, I'm doing that classic thing of waiting for it to turn 9.30 so that I can get the cheap ticket. So I'm just waiting and loitering. And as I'm loitering, I realise that that, that woman that I bumped into this morning was suddenly in the ticket hall with me. And I'm like, how did that happen? She didn't get on my bus. She must have got on the bus after me. And I'm like, that's weird. I've never seen this woman before. And Selsen is where I live, isn't that big. And I'm like, but she was in voting this morning. And now she's on my ticket hall. So we smiled at each other in recognition and, um, and just joked a little bit. And she said I was stalking her. I wasn't stalking her. <laughs> Anyway, so I then, at 9.30, and I she's obviously walking much slowly, but I ran off because I wanted to get the 9.34 into Victoria. So I got onto the uh, platform, and I was on the train, and I got off uh, in Victoria, and I have got through the barriers, and suddenly I fell into step with this woman again. And I'm like, this is the third time this morning I've had an encounter with this woman. And uh, she was really laughing at me, and, uh, and I just was like... Uh, we just had a conversation. Her name was Sarah, and uh, we were just talking away. And at the end of that, we, we sort of walked out together, and, and I found out a little bit of information. And I said, I'll see you again soon. And I said, obviously, this morning, we now, we're now going to be best friends forever. And she laughed, and she said, yeah, probably. I haven't seen her again since Thursday. But I know that she lives in Selson. I know that I'm in Selson all the time. I have full expectation of seeing Sarah again. But I do not think for one second that Thursday morning that those three encounters were just chance. I believe that all three of them were God incidences. Absolutely, I think God was doing something in those moments. And I am going to be praying for Sarah. I expect. I fully expect to see her. And I fully expect to see her come through because I think God was on it. I'm just sharing that because I think sometimes we don't recognize what God's doing in our lives. We don't recognize, oh, that person that we've come into contact with, actually, that's just someone that God wants me to care for. And the other interesting thing, and it was not interesting, but she was talking about her brain tumor and her the stroke that she had had. Well, we've got a woman in our church right now with a brain tumour, and we've been calling, you know, doing prayer meetings for her, and, uh, doing all sorts of stuff, and it, just the, the parallels of the story were very, very similar. So again, I kind of know God's doing something. I don't know what he's doing, but I know God opened a door. Where is God opening doors for you? Thursday night, I went out for a drink with one of my good friends so as I told you we've got a community centre and in our community centre we've got a coffee shop so we do a lot of uh, social evangelism if you like through our coffee shop and uh, on the first week our coffee shop opened about five years ago uh, I met a young mum and I, you know, my kids are older so I don't really have much in common with young mums usually but she smiled, I smiled that's how we start a conversation smiling and, uh, and she was struggling a little bit and um, She was struggling a little bit about the whole. Um, I've got a baby. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here. But we started having a conversation. And I just thought well, I quite like you. And somehow, by the end of our conversation, we'd exchanged Facebook details. This is why I love Facebook. Facebook's annoying for lots of reasons, but for connecting people like that, it's great. And. Uh, And then she would just message, come into the coffee shop quite a lot, and we just talk quite a bit, and we ended up getting quite friendly. We had a carol service that year. I invited her. She came. She brought her dad. She didn't say much about it. That was it. Uh, But we ended up being very, very friendly. And in fact, the last two Christmases, her and her husband have joined um, Tim and I for Christmas. That's how friendly we are. And over the years, I've invited her to various things, and she's just always said no. She's always come to the carol service, but she said no to everything else. But Thursday night, we went out for um, uh, just a drink, and we were just sitting there chatting. and um, We had a meal together, and at the end of the meal, one of the girls who works in the restaurant came upstairs, and she, uh, she's a friend of ours, and she said, oh, can I join you for five minutes before I go, yeah, yeah, come down. And Miss girl, Tony, says to me, so just bearing in mind that Becky and I have not talked about church at all the whole evening, she says, just tell me about your church, and I'm like, well, it's like this. Did it? And I described it to her. She goes, oh, Can I come then? And I'm like, If you like. She goes, Can I come on Sunday? And I went, Yeah, I'm not going to be there because I'm here. Um, but you can come. Tim will be there. There'll be other people that you might know. She goes, oh, I work Sundays. This is the only Sunday I've got. She goes, Now hold on. And uh, um, somehow between that conversation and the next bit, she said, No, no, I can come next Sunday. She went, right, I'm coming next Sunday, is that all right? And I'm like, yeah, well, fine, I'll be there. And then she turns around to Bex, she goes, Bex, you coming with me? And Bex is like, no. She goes, no, you're coming with me. It wasn't an option, you are coming with me. So I didn't have to do anything at all. But my friend Tony, who I don't know very well, is dragging my friend Bex, who I know very well, to church next Sunday. And although I'm not preaching next Sunday, rest assured the gospel will be preached. And um, I don't know whether it will be their moment or not their moment, but I'm going to be faithful with the bit that God has given me. Yeah? Are we, are we, are we getting, getting where we're yes. going? I know that you guys do something different here. I don't want to cut across anything that you guys teach. But at home base I um, teach red-amber-green events. And the reason I teach that is not because it's a a theology and it's not because it's a, a formula, but it was a way of helping my church understand that you don't need to shove Jesus into every single conversation. It's choosing your moment. You do need to talk about Jesus, but you do that with gentleness and with respect, but you don't need to shove Jesus into every conversation. So I talk about red events and amber events and green events, and I put all of my effort and all of my energy into red events. And red events stop. We're not going to talk about Jesus. Amber events, the socially acceptable mentions of Jesus, and green, go with the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. A red event is going for a drink with a colleague after work. It's a coffee morning. It's maybe a parenting group or a toddler group. It's a. It's a life group social. It's one of those things which you do where you're not overtly talking about Jesus, but you are just including people in your world. You are inviting people into your family. You're saying, come with us. We're going to have a good time. You know, I'm going out on Monday for a bank holiday walk. I'm going to invite some friends with me. That's just a, you know, I'm not, it's not a formal red event as such, but it is a red event. I'm not there to... To talk about Jesus. Obviously, if someone asks me about Jesus, I'm going to talk about it. It's not that I'm legalistic about it, but it's just a way of helping the church that we don't need to get Jesus into every conversation. Actually, our lifestyles speak massively. You know that whole, whole old adage of more is caught than more is caught than taught. People learn from your lifestyle. And That's not to put pressure on your lifestyle. It's not to say you've got to live this perfect, amazing life. But it is about, um, how can I explain it? Even when you get it wrong, when you go and put things right, that's actually more powerful than getting it right in the first place. If you are able to say sorry, able to be humble and say, I got that really wrong, I am so sorry, please would you forgive me, how can I make this right for you? That is actually modelling how to live, that's actually making a disciple. It's showing people how to repair relationships. That's powerful. Imagine if you lived in Brixton and everybody's relationships were repaired. You'd have a transformed community, utterly transformed People wouldn't live in fear. They wouldn't be worried about going out onto the streets. They wouldn't be concerned about what other people thought because their relationships would be right with one another. And so that's important that we don't put pressure on ourselves to live a perfect life, but to live an honest life and a life full of integrity and owning up when we get it wrong, but also speaking up when we get it right. You know, Let your good work shine before, before men so they can praise your Father in heaven. So there's lots of tensions that we hold together all of the time. Where was I going? I forgot what I was saying. Can somebody remind me? Sorry? Oh, Amber. Yeah, thank you. So red, Amber events are what I call the socially acceptable mentions of Jesus. So they are things like, um, oh, I would call a dedication service sometimes an Amber event, especially if people are bringing lots and lots of family and they're saying to me, Jazz, do you know what? It's just too much if you're going to preach the gospel today because it's just it's too sensitive a subject. I will just present a really good service and make it clear who Jesus is, but not make an appeal. Um, other Amber events, our Mothering Sunday service tends to be an Amber event. We're not making an appeal, but where people know there's going to be singing, they know there's going to be some uh, praying, they'll be talking about Jesus, they kind of know it'll be, a, it'll be what we call a nice seeker-friendly service. So that's kind of an Amber event. And then a green event, and it's only to help the church, it's not anything else, it's just to help individuals understand how to make the invitation. And a green event is where I'm going to preach the gospel, pray for the sick, make an appeal. There'll be a challenge, and it might be a bit uncomfortable. Tomorrow morning is a green event, (laughs) if you hadn't got that. But actually, every Sunday morning, when you gather together, is a legitimate green event. If people have got up, out of bed, and they have walked or come into church by whatever means... They are already searching. They're already looking. They've already made the journey. There is a point there to welcome, to accept, to bring in, to make sure they know they're welcome. And there is a point there to preach the gospel and to make an appeal. You can reap on a Sunday. The reason it's color coded is just so that the, our church can be sensitive in the invitation. So they can—they think I can invite all these people, all my colleagues. So, for example, in a few weeks' time, we've got a gin tasting event because we have a coffee shop and we've got a bar, and gin is quite trendy. Everybody smiled at that point. I wasn't quite sure how that was going to go down, but it seems to go down quite well. Um, (laughs) We had to (laughs) judge the church on me. No, they were all smiling. (laughs) And uh, they, they... so we've got this gin tasting event. We did one before Christmas. We've got a second one coming. It's a red event. We sell tickets because we've got this bar. We sell tickets. People come. Uh, We have a great evening. We have a gin quiz. We do a little bit of knowledge and they can sample some stuff and there's botanicals and things and, and whatever. It's just a simple red event. But it brings people into the community. It gets us the opportunity to connect with other people and make friendships and see those doors open. That's what's happening in a few weeks' time. I also just need to be careful that when I asked the church, you know, as they were doing the Red event, I was also very clear in saying, actually, it is alcohol, and alcohol can be a sensitive subject, but we can model how to drink responsibly, how to drink appropriately, that we don't need to get drunk in order to have a good time, but that we can enjoy alcohol in its moderation, and Christians aren't you know, it's okay to drink, it's okay not to drink, both, both types are okay, it's just that we want to be able to model what it is to live. And when we had our gin tasting event at Christmas, we, nobody got drunk, nobody at all, everybody just had a really pleasant evening, we had great reviews, we're really looking forward to the next one. So that's what I teach, red, amber, green. Although I say that, you mustn't lose sight of the Holy Spirit prompting. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you. And you must be alert to this. I'm going to finish with one one story. Because there's some of you that... um, You understand walking in the supernatural in quite a phenomenal way. And you understand the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, all these things, every single way that I've described are good ways of inviting people. But every now and again, there'll be something that we call the word of knowledge. And as you're walking, the Holy Spirit might just speak to you and prompt you, and you need to be alert to listen to that. There was one time... Get ready. There was one time that um, we... I was coming home from school, uh, having dropped the boys off, and I walked into a lady who was crying, a lady my sort of age, absolutely crying it's about eight years ago now crying and she I just looked at her and I'm like what do I do I've got this woman in front of me crying hello are you okay pretty much how I started the conversation and as I said hello are you okay I literally felt the Holy Spirit say to me she wants a baby and I'm like well I'm not gonna (laughs) say that to you you've got to be sensitive know your moment." And I'm like, well, I'm not going to open that one up. That's a whole can of worms. And uh, so I'm looking at her, and through her sobs, she her, literally her opening words were, I want a baby. And I'm like, oh, okay, thank you, God. And at that point, this is what I realised. I didn't need to tell her that I'd already heard that from God. But what I knew at that point was that God wanted to do something. She's a Chinese lady, or, um, yeah, she's Chinese, and um, and Chinese lady, and so I'm just, um, and actually it turned out she lives about 12 doors away from me. I didn't know that at the time. And so I said, Well, I really don't know how to help you, but I can pray. I'm a Christian and I can pray. And, uh, and, I, and I said, Would you like me to pray here or would you like me to go? She said, No, no, you can pray here. So on the street in Saleston, I've got a Chinese woman crying who's desperate for a baby. And she's, she's begun to tell me all the shame of not being able to conceive and the culture that she comes from. And, and I'm like, it's all right, I can pray. That's all I can offer. Pretty much nine months a day, she had a baby boy. She lives 12 doors away from me. I see her all the time. She will tell you if you ask her, that woman watched, says Jazz. Jazz prayed for me, and I have a baby boy. She's still not saved I talk to her, I see her, I chat with her. She's a policewoman in London. We have huge conversations about life. Um, and I just love her. And I will continue to love her. And I have got to trust that God performed a miracle in her life. And God is going to do something. But there are some of you sitting in this room that are thinking, I hear from God. I don't know how to make that possible. Or how, to, how does that translate in my daily life? Actually should be all hear from God. Some of you are thinking, I'd love to hear like that. And today I'm going to pray for that, for those of you specifically that want that gift of the word of knowledge. But there are others of you saying, "Jazz, I just don't have the boldness. I want some boldness. And we're going to pray for that too. All of you, we're going to pray for opportunities to invite, to share your story, to tell people about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Before I end, I want us to watch this clip and I'm hoping it will help us make sense of the fact that we are all wired different ways but we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We bring that to the church and lives are transformed. There are moments in that clip, I've used that clip in various ways, but there are moments in that clip where... um, I love it when the children are copying the conductor. Because when I was talking about your life on display for people to see, they will mimic your life. When I go out with my girlfriends, they'll always say to me, Jazz, when we're around you, we don't swear. Like, that's a standard sentence when I go out. And I'm like, I never told them not to swear, but they all know, oh, she's the minister, we don't swear. (laughs) I didn't tell them, but that's what they think. When our lives are on display and people can see it, it, people will copy it. And I love that. There was a guy that walks through. I don't know if you caught him. He walks through and he kind of looks and he does a double take and then he goes, wow. You know? When I see the church working well, I just go, wow, it's breathtaking. Breathtakingly beautiful. You've all got a part to play. Right, we're going to Pray. We are going to respond and we are going to pray. Tomorrow, oh no, so this afternoon we are going to go out onto the streets. We've got two, we're going to do a questionnaire this afternoon. I'm going to describe it now so that if you have thought I might or might not go, I will tell you what we're doing. We're going to go and do questionnaires. Uh, I find a questionnaire is a really good way of starting a conversation. I think our questionnaires have only got three lines on them, three questions on them. They're very, very short. So you're not keeping people for any length of time. We're going to hopefully do some in Brixton and some around this area here. That plan may change. but it's a, a clipboard and a uh, pen is an easy way to start a conversation. I think people struggle with how to start a conversation. And I will teach that before we go about how that looks. The reason for doing a questionnaire is not because we're being fake. I sincerely want to get some answers. And I sincerely want those answers to be used by you as a church so that you can dovetail what you serve to your local community, so that you serve, well, you meet their needs. Um, so that's what we're doing so there's not going to be anything particularly difficult or particularly taxing at the same time though while we're out we are people that are led by the holy spirit and god might prompt you to to invite someone or to say something or to do something and that is all okay and it might be tonight when you get home as i said earlier on that you think oh actually i just need to ring such and such and get them along Actually, I love the fact that you can just WhatsApp people because you don't actually have to have that face-to-face conversation and feel that personal rejection. Um, but yes, so is that all right? Can we pray? Can I invite you to stand? We're just going to wait for the Holy Spirit to do his thing. I don't know where we'll go, um, but we'll just kind of just hold on to this. I'm wondering if maybe somebody could... Thank you, Phil. I find that music kind of just takes away the distraction of... Um, Everything else that's going on, and this is just a moment where I want you to focus on Jesus. Forget about other things. I know it's hungry. You're hungry. It's lunchtime, but just this is a bit of an oasis in your day, and this is where you can give yourself completely and unreservedly to God. It doesn't matter uh, what you, you know, what argument you had at home this morning or uh, the state you left your house in this morning or what happened last night. Actually, we're just gonna come and look at Jesus who loves you with the most incredible, tangible, real and perfect love for you. He loves you so much that he fought for you. He fought the battle at the cross and he won. And he won so that you could have freedom, so that you can enjoy God's incredible grace that you could receive his kindness, his mercy, his goodness, that you wouldn't have to live under any oppression, but that you could be utterly free. He qualified you so that you utterly belong, so that you're hidden in him. You're a child of God. to that day where you know all these things will be wrapped up and there will be a banquet to which we are all invited <clears throat> and there will be a wedding and there will be a feast and we're excited because God has plans and purposes for each and every one of us And that he's given us his Holy Spirit to be able uh, to do things in his power, not in our strength. So the first thing I want to deal with is fear. For those of you that are feeling a bit wobbly around this whole area, just mention that before God. I take the authority I have in Jesus and I say, fear you are to go. You have no place here. And I ask Holy Spirit for you to come and to begin to minister very powerfully and to go really, really deep. But Father, the peace that you've already given us would just bubble up to the surface and become evident. pray for this whole area of evangelism, for every single one of my brothers and sisters here, that they would know a brand new boldness that comes from you, and a fresh authority and a sense of being able to go again and again and again and again and again, again. that there would be no stopping, there would be uh, this relentless desire to be passionate about you and passionate in front of other people to display who you are, to talk you up, to speak about what you have done, to share all your goodness. Father, would you put that boldness in each of us? And Father, where we've been discouraged before, where we felt that we wanted to step back, I pray today for a fresh impartation of faith in this whole area. Father, I pray for a fruitfulness for this church like they have never known. I ask you for days of ripe fruit to be, to be here, to be evident that, Father, people would just keep walking in, that you would propel the people by the Holy Spirit to come in and to encounter you and to meet you. Father, I pray that, that this church would know what it is to see countless salvations, see people saved and added and walking in freedom, enjoying all that you are, and seeing the community transformed. The Holy Spirit comes.